Hi, I'm Keen Washburn. I'm the Student Locations Director here at The River Church. Thanks for checking out one of our messages today. We would love to get connected with you and your family. One easy way to do that is to text RIVERCONNECT. That's one word, no space between the two words. Text RIVERCONNECT to the number 97000, so 97000. Or you can visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and our upcoming events. If you'd like to give to The River Church today, you can text the amount that you want to give to 84321, or you can visit our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy the message today. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Justin Dean. Uh, it is awesome to get a chance to be here with you this morning. Uh, I love uh, getting a chance to come down to Lake Orion, and not just because I love Pastor Josh and Jeannie. Uh, they are some of my favorite people out the river, honestly. I mean, Jeannie's my office neighbor, so I definitely love her. Um, I'm sure there's times she doesn't love me and my loud voice, but... Um, it is just so awesome to get a chance to be here with you this morning. I always love getting a chance to speak here, and so when I saw my name on the schedule, I immediately texted my wife and said, yes, we get to go to Lake Orion coming up. Uh, and so we were, we were really pumped to be here. Uh, but like Pastor Josh said, uh, I am the recovery uh, director here at the River Church, and so uh, this morning I'm not here on recovery business, uh, but I would love to get a chance to talk with you uh, if you or someone you know is going through recovery or is struggling with addiction, uh, I would love to get a chance to talk with you about that. And so stop me after the gathering. Uh, we have our recovery gathering on Tuesday nights. And so I'd love to talk to you about getting plugged in there uh, at our Waterford location or however I can help uh, with the recovery process for you or, or a loved one. Uh, I'd love to get a chance to talk with you. But um, like I said, I'm not here on recovery business this morning. So um, I want to... Uh, talk to you guys a little bit about where we are um, in our sermon series. And so if you would, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. And as you turn with me there, uh, I wanted to uh, tell you a little bit about who I am. Whenever I speak, I try and just give people, you know, maybe one thing that they can hone in on about who I am, where I've come from, or the things that I enjoy, so it's not like a random stranger is up here talking to you. And so if you have spent any uh, amount of time around me, you will know that I am a big gamer. I love games. Not only video games, you know, when you hear gamer, that's what you think of. Yes, I love video games, Trust me, I, I don't need to go into that and explain that. But it's pretty much any type of game, whether it's sports, whether it's board games, uh, any different type of thing that is competitive, I love to be a part of. And uh, I am in the gaming world considered uh, what many people would call a rules lawyer. Now, if you've never heard of what a rules lawyer is, this is a person who does everything they can to learn and understand the rules so that they can exploit said rules. And so a lot of times, I am the person who is the first one to pull out the rules book when there is a discrepancy, because odds are, I probably have it memorized, as weird as that is. That is like my thing, that's what I go to, because... For me, it, it all kind of starts off in childhood, as many you know of our things most often do. Um, but I really struggled with when, whenever we would get together and play games as kids, whether it was board games or whether it was games on the schoolyard, there would always be the one kid who knew the rules, 
right? They would be the one that's explaining whatever game that, uh, that you would uh, be playing. And thus, the rules became, became based on them. And so, a lot of times, you know, I know none of you would do this, but for kids, it would become, how can I change the rules so that I am at a significant advantage. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but when I was growing up as a kid, that was like whoever was explaining the game was adding rules halfway through as we were playing, especially if they were losing, because no one likes to lose. And so I got extremely frustrated that this was the case. And I was like, hey, we're not going to be making up rules. I'm going to learn the rules, and I will become the ultimate rules lawyer. Now, I tell you this story not because I want you to know that I like to lay down the law or that I have weird amounts of knowledge in my head on board games uh, and, and sports, but because I think oftentimes this is our society. Our society, you, if you live in our world, you either fall into one of two categories. You're a person who loves the rules, who is oftentimes the rules lawyer. You know all the rules so that you can make yourself feel self-righteous like a good person because you're sticking to the rules. Or you're the person who wants the rules to go away, right? You're the person who does not want rules around. And a lot of times in our society, the, the latter is becoming much more prevalent, Right? Our society is starting to move away from what we would call morality or living according to a set of morals or a code that defines who we are, what is right and wrong, and they're moving towards relativism. Right? We get to pick and choose the rules that we want to play the game of life by. And thus, we see this idea of truth in our world, which for many, many years, many, many generations was considered absolute, right? There is a defined right and wrong, has now become based off of however you wish to define truth, right? It can be based off of your gender. It can be based off of your culture. It can be based off of your experience, could be based off of however you want to see truth. And this idea is becoming more and more and more propagated. But the reality is, this is extremely dangerous. Because when we make up rules for morality, we lose sight of who we are. Not only who we are as believers, hopefully in this room, if you would call yourself a believer, you are not uh, seeking relative truth. And we're going to talk a little bit about why. But as a society, we lose the very human, human aspect that binds us together. This consciousness, this reality of right and wrong. But before we jump into that, I'm going to take a moment and pray. Lord, we love you. Lord, we are just so incredibly thankful that you have brought us into your house this morning. Lord, that we have an opportunity to dive into your word. Lord, I pray that as I speak this morning, uh, that you would give me clarity. And that ultimately your word would be what speaks, not me. 
And Lord, I pray for each and every one of us in this room that our heart would be excited to hear from your word, Lord, and that we wouldn't close those doors or we wouldn't become defensive immediately, but we would let your word change our hearts. In your precious name, Jesus' name, amen. So we're in uh, Matthew 5, and we're looking at this Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is is preaching. And we've been going through week by week uh, the different aspects of what he says here, right? Because uh, if Jesus preached a sermon, and it's obviously the best sermon that's ever been preached, uh, we as as pastors, as preachers who are here, we want to expound upon what he said, right? Because he did it better than us. And so we've been taking a look at all these different things. Last year, we took a look at the Beatitudes. This year, we're taking a look at kind of what follows and how Jesus begins to address the crowd. But he, uh, in Matthew 5, verse 17, he begins to talk about the law. Now, for us, we don't necessarily always understand the law. And so I'm going to do my best to explain uh, a little bit about that to you this morning. But I want for us to read the passage first. Matthew 5 starting in verse 17, going through verse 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth passes away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of all the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so what we see here is Jesus, as he's addressing the crowd, is kind of taking a pivot, right? Because If you have looked at the Servant on the Mount uh, for any significant period of time, you see that the Beatitudes, what we walked through last year as a church, um, they were fairly radical for the time, right? Jesus is telling people to be poor in spirit. He's, He's saying, blessed are the peacemakers. He's saying all these things that are very contrary to who the people have been taught to be. And so as they hear this and they They think that Jesus is the Messiah, their coming Savior. They think that he is coming to flip everything on its head, namely the law, the prophets, the Old Testament. They think that what Jesus is coming to do is saying, all right, stop that, delete, and then we're going to write a whole new book. And Jesus has come to say, yes, we're going to start a whole new thing. But we're going to continue and expound upon what the law and the prophets are. This very idea of the Old Testament. Now, there, once again, are two camps that people are sitting in. There are the spiritual rules lawyers, which are the Pharisees and the scribes. These people who, they have learned the law and learned the prophets so well that they have begun to exploit the people of God. And they've begun to add and say, hey, you need to do these things. You need to figure out uh, what it means to rest on the Sabbath. And we're gonna tell you exactly how that is because we're gonna tell you how we can achieve rest, 
but something that's not able for you to achieve. And they do that with every law. They go and they continue to extrapolate and explain to the people of God how they should be living these things in ways that they can live them themselves and the people cannot. And it becomes this thing where the Pharisees and scribes are viewed as these holy and righteous people solely because they are the only one, ones that can obey the very rules that they narrowed to action. And so what Jesus is saying is, there's this inc- there is the law and there are the prophets and it is true And I'm not coming here to get rid of it. I'm actually coming here to accomplish it. I'm coming here to show that it's possible and to do something radical. Here's the thing. Jesus did not come to get rid of the law, but to focus it. Jesus did not come here to get rid of the law. He came here to focus it. What do I mean by this? Well, without giving away all the things that are coming. You know, I don't want to preach all of uh, Josh's sermons up here this morning. But what Jesus does in these following chapters and verses that we're going to be looking at week by week is he takes what the law says and he extrapolates and applies it to their hearts. He goes, you have heard, do not kill someone. But what I tell you is, if you have gotten angry at someone in your heart, you, you, you've killed them. You've murdered them, right? You've heard it, do not commit adultery, but if you look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart, right? He came and he said, I'm going to accomplish these things, but also it's more than just about action. It's about your heart. And so what he did is, did is he took this massive spotlight and he turned it into a laser pointer, And that laser pointer is directed at each and every one of our hearts. And so he's setting up this idea of expanding upon the truth of God's word. And he's doing it by pointing at people's hearts. And so he's saying, there are some of you who are here who are looking for the law to be abolished. That's a heart issue, right? You just don't want rules. You want to live however you want to live. You want salvation, the Messiah, to be your fire insurance, to be your get out of hell free card. That's what you want. But you Pharisees, you are wanting to classify your own righteousness. And so you have made up rules that you can keep and only you can keep so that you appear better than everyone else. Y'all are all a mess, right? You need a revolution, and it's not for these people. It's not for these people. It's for all people. It's a spiritual revolution. And here's the the reality. Oftentimes, we treat the Bible the exact same way. We like to cut and paste Scripture. That's what we do. We regularly will quote Scripture that we know or want to apply to our life. will avoid scripture that is difficult and hard to have conversations about or is convicting because it's convicting because it's a heart issue because we then have a hard time viewing ourselves as unrighteous well here's some news we're unrighteous that that is the entire message of scripture we are unrighteous there is no way and jesus 
in this last verse, in verse 20, is mocking that very idea. He's telling the people, for unless you are, your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He's poking fun because these scribes and Pharisees are viewed almost as spiritually perfect. How am I, a layman, supposed to be better than them? You're not. You can't. It doesn't work. So it's a heart issue, and it comes from a desire to live God's commandment. And what I mean by that is oftentimes when we look at Scripture, when when we read the Bible or when we look at the truth of God's word, we view it in this way. We look and say, I, therefore, God's word. I feel this is right. I think this is okay. I view this as good. My experience tells me this. And thus, I'm going to look at God's word and I'm going to find what suits and fits me. And if there's something that doesn't suit or fit me, I'm going to do my word study or read that certain pastor who I know is going to make that verse more palatable to me. And the more we do this, the farther and farther we stray from God because what the reality comes down to is you are defining truth as you. But the reality is, if the Bible is absolute truth, and breaking news, it is, I will tell you that, the Bible is absolute truth because it is God's word, and God is the very thing by which we define truth. If the Bible is absolute truth, how we should read the Bible is, God's word, therefore I. God's word, whatever God's word says, that's who I am. Whatever God's word says about my identity is what my identity is. Whatever God's word says about how I should live, the media that I should consume, the way that I should interact with my parents, the way that I should interact with my kids, the way that I should love people, the way that I should interact with my boss, that is what's right, what's true, how it should go. But that's hard. That's difficult. I'm not going to lie to you. That is extremely difficult, and it's something that we all struggle with. But the reality is, when we refuse to acknowledge the whole truth, the entire truth of Scripture, we worship ourselves rather than the God of the universe. Let me say that again. When we refuse to acknowledge the whole truth of Scripture, we worship ourselves rather than the God of the universe. And we see that in Romans, Paul extrapolates what Jesus is saying in Matthew 5. He is addressing this very idea of the, the law being something that is incredibly important because it shows us what truth is. And so in Romans 1, 24 and 25, Paul opens Romans by talking about what happens when people begin to view truth as relative rather than God's word as absolute truth. It says this, Therefore, God gave them up in their lusts of their heart to impurity, to be to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature 
rather than the creator who is blessed for a, forever. Amen. Right there, Paul is spitting bars. That's what he's saying. He has gotten in and he has hit this, this railroad and he is moving on this train track and he's speaking such incredible truth. When we refuse to acknowledge the truth of Scripture and when we refuse to hold that as absolute over our individual lives, over the lives of our family, over the lives of our communities, over the lives of our country, when we refuse to hold that as absolute truth, We exchange the truth about God for a lie. And we worship the creature because in my sin, I can be described nothing uh, aside from a creature, a creature of sin, a creature of disgust. We worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. And this is a hard truth, but it is the reality. And if you continue to look at the latter part of Romans 1, he continues to talk about the downturn, the depravity that befalls society or, or our, our humanity when we continue to live according to this reality, when we give up this truth. And let me tell you, it looks a lot like our world today. It does, because the more and more that we give up this truth of God, we strive from him. Every day that we ignore God's truth and believe its absolution in our life, we lose our minds. And I almost equate it to this descent into spiritual madness. This descent into spiritual madness, this descent into depravity. But luckily, we do not have to continue in this spiritual madness. God sent Christ. And when Christ is speaking to these people on uh, on the mount and he's preaching the sermon he's talking about what is to come he's talking about his purpose and his purpose was to fulfill this law to be the one who could accomplish and complete the absolute truth who could save us from our depravity who could redirect our minds from ourselves to creator god And we see that the purpose of this law is to be two things. One, it is to show us how to live, right? When we look at the Old Testament law, the entire purpose is for us to see how we should interact with God. And there should be righteousness. The law is trying to teach us how to live so that we can be righteous And that righteousness ultimately leads us to a worship and a relationship with God. But that plays into the second part of the law. The second part of the law is for us to see that ultimately we are nowhere close to that. We are nowhere close. When we look in the mirror and we say, all right, well, this is how I need to look to have a relationship with God. Yeah, I don't look like that at all. (laughs) That relationship is nowhere to be found. And there's not a chance that I will ever be able to, according to my own works, make it. And so we read in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is a passage that if you've been around church, that you've most likely heard before. But a lot of times what we don't hear is 
the surrounding section where Paul talks about the reason that we have uh, the reason that we have the law is to show that we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but there is redemption. Look at Romans 3:21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned fallen short of the glory of God. And, that is a crucial and, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is Jesus Christ whom God put forward as a propitiation, which is a really fancy word for saying as a substitute, for uh, by his blood to receive by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You see, Jesus is making this statement in, in Matthew 5 about his purpose. And, and Paul in Romans 3 takes and says, Hey, you remember what he was saying in Matthew 5? Yeah, he did that. He did that. And he did that through his death on the cross. Because here's the reality Jesus came as fully God and fully man, to live a perfect life. Now you may look at me and you say like, well, why is that important? And that was probably easy for him because he was God. And I look and say, no, he was directly tempted by Satan. And he made it out the other side. But uh, to, to expound on this point or to illustrate it, I want you to imagine that uh, I, I'm sitting around at Buffalo Wild Wings with my buddies. Now I'm in fantasy football uh, my team is on the rocks, let's just say. Uh, and uh, I- I'm sitting around with my buddies, and we decide that we are going to make a bet. <gasps> I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that in church. But we decide we're gonna, we are going to make a bet. And so my buddy tells me, hey, I'll bet you 20 bucks that uh, my team beats yours this week. I say, all right, sounds good. The week plays out, and... My team beats him, right? He owes me $20. He comes to me and says, hey, man, falling on hard times, whatever the case may be, I don't got $20. Well, one of my buddies, my other buddies who was sitting there, who was around us, he, he hears about this and he says, hey, man, uh, I got 20 bucks and I'll pay it for you. I said, awesome, that's great, but here's the thing. You owe me $60, so you can't pay his debt Because we still have a score to settle. That's the reality of us in our relationships with God, right? We have this spiritual debt. And a lot of times it comes from us betting that we can be more righteous or righteous enough to to be good people, however that's defined. But unfortunately, our spiritual debt is not $20. It's more like $20 million, right? It's nothing that we could ever pay. And if you can pay it, hey, uh, I, got, I, I, I want to talk to you after gathering. If you could pay that debt. Um, I'm just kidding. But that's the reality. It, it comes down to like we can never pay that debt. Now, a lot of times we want to base 
our spiritual faith or what we want to be classified as as a good person on maybe someone that we've seen or uh, someone who uh, we idolize or someone we uh, look up to. And the reality is that person couldn't pay our spiritual debt because they are just in as much debt as we are. They have to pay their own debt. They have to worry about their own problems. And so they could never save us even if they wanted to. But the reality is Jesus, because he's God and because he came down and he lived a perfect life, he is the only one without debt. And let me tell you, his spiritual bank account is far and above filled. It is much much greater than any debt that we could accumulate. And so this is the gospel. This is why a relationship with Jesus is necessary. And this is why Jesus in Matthew or in Matthew 5 is saying these things. When he says he's come to fulfill the law, he's saying I came to live and succeed and now pay for you. My righteousness will extend to you all as believers who follow me. That's why Christ is Savior. And if you haven't started a relationship with Jesus Christ, I would encourage you, now is the time. You cannot afford to live in spiritual debt any longer. And through Jesus' death, once again shedding his blood, taking our spiritual debt, which is the wage that we earned, on him and him suffering that consequence and then raising to life, he is stamping paid on all of our debts. And you cannot afford to live in that debt any longer. And so I encourage you, ask me, ask Pastor Josh, grab someone in this room and ask them what the gospel is and how you can become a follower of Jesus Christ because it's time. It's time and it's important. But the nice thing is, It doesn't stop there. The hard thing is, for a lot of us, we look and we say, all right, I got Jesus, you know, I'm good, right? It's back to that whole idea of fire insurance, of the get out of hell free card. We lose sight of why a relationship with Jesus matters now. But we see that Christ's fulfillment of the law is eternal life that starts now. That starts now. Christ's fulfillment of the law is eternal life for us now. It radically alters who we are at this moment. Turn with me to Romans 8. Right? Romans, in Romans, Paul is just extrapolating upon extrapolating these ideas of Christ fulfilling the law and how that defines his righteousness and then how that extends to our righteousness. This is what he says in Romans 8. We're going to be starting in verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned in the flesh or condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law may be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. You see, he's he's saying that very same truth. That Jesus Christ came and because of his death and resurrection, his righteousness, the way that he accomplished the law, has now extended to us. We can look and say, 
All right, we are free. Now, the danger in that comes when we say, we are free so I can walk, not according to the flesh, but according to Justin. Right? I want to walk according to Justin. I want to walk according to myself. Yes, I'm so glad that I have freedom. Let's go and do whatever we want to do. But he doesn't say that. He says, so you can walk according to the Spirit, the Spirit of God. You see, walking according to the Spirit is the ultimate good for your life. Walking according to the Spirit is the ultimate good for your life. Now, the trouble comes in when we don't believe that. We don't believe that. We like to believe that what I want to do is the best for my life. But here is the the truth that you have to live with. If you can't live according to Scripture, live according to reason, which arguably I would say is the exact same. But hear me out. If you believe that God is good, do you believe that God is good? Think about that in your head. If the answer is yes, I believe that God is good, there's step one. Step two, do you believe that God knows all things? If the answer is yes, then good, let's move on. Do you believe that God is in control of all things? Hopefully, the answer, once again, is yes, and we can move on. So, if you believe that God is good, if you believe that God knows all things, and you believe that God is in control of all things, then why... Would you do anything else other than what he tells you to do? That was a question I I wrestled with for a lot of years was, man, I feel like all these things are good for me and I want to do all these things and they're fun and they're interesting and all the, and, and and I like doing these things and they seem good for me at the time. But I had to wrestle with, if I believe that God is good and he wants what's best for me, if I got, believe that God knows everything, and is smarter than I could ever be, and that God is in control of all things, obedience is the only thing that makes sense. Because obedience is ultimately going to be what's best for you, and what's best for me. And so, we have to submit ourselves back to the truth of Scripture. Right? We have to, this is all all this to say, come back to the very beginning and, and say, Scripture Therefore, I. Because it is ultimately what's good for us. And because we walk according to the Spirit, the Spirit renews us. It encourages us. It gives us the fruits of the Spirit. It shows us compassion. He is our helper. All these different things that come as we obey and seek God. And so, as we continue this series, Jesus is going to continue to challenge us to live in obedience. And as the spotlight turns into a laser pointer that's aimed at our hearts, we have to look and say, that's tough. I don't really like that. But that's what's best for me. That's tough. That's going to be really hard to work out in my marriage. It's going to be really hard to work out with my kids. It's going to be really hard to work out with my boss. It's going to be hard for me to live this in an individual way. But it's probably what's best for me. And so I got to figure out how to live it. I got to obey what Jesus is saying. It's important that I make that truth who I am because 
the guy who fulfilled the law and his righteousness that has been extended to me is telling me that this is how I should live. And my heart needs to fall in line. Because I love him, because I believe in him, because he is my savior, because I want to seek God. And so we cannot let ourselves be convinced of anything else. So as we close, I'm, a, I'm much more of a practical guy. I like to talk about, you know, hey, this is great, pastor. You got up here and, and said all these things, and I'm glad that I know that Christ's righteousness extends to me. What do I do now? Where do I leave? What are the conversations that I have over lunch with my family? And today I have a question. I, and I would in, encourage you to dissect this question and, and to check your heart. Because there's going to be a laser pointer po- poking at it for the next few weeks. And I want you to ask yourself this. Maybe you need to ask this in your growth communities. Maybe you need to ask this with an accountability partner or your spouse. Whatever that look for looks like for you. But it's a question I've been asking myself. Am I living for and according to the Spirit, or am I living to serve myself and what I want to believe is right? Am I living for and according, two parts, for and according to the Spirit, or am I living to serve myself and what I want to believe is right. Because I think that this question tells a lot about what camp we're sitting in. Right? Christ added this third camp. They're the spiritual rules lawyers and the spiritual people who want no rules whatsoever. But Christ added this camp of people who are seeking for the heart of the game who are seeking for God's heart, who are seeking to live according to how God intends us to live and living for a relationship with the creator. And a lot of times we get distracted and we say, I want to live to prove my own righteousness. I want to live so I can win the spiritual game. Or we say, I want to get out of the game altogether. I want to make up my own rules. I want to live according to my own game. But the reality is a relationship with Jesus Christ is the greatest thing that any of us could experience. And then walking according to the Spirit is the ultimate good. And so that question keeps our hearts in check. And and maybe that's what we need to do. We need to prepare our hearts for these coming weeks as Jesus teaches us according to his word. Am I living for and according to the spirit or am I living to serve myself and what I want to believe is right? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Lord, we're so thankful for your son, Jesus Christ, that through his death and resurrection, that His righteousness was given to us through our faith. And Lord, 
that you didn't just get rid of truth, but you fulfilled truth. Lord, I just pray that as each of us leaves today, me included, you would help us to analyze our hearts and say, where am I living? Am I frustrated with the rules? Am I rebelling against you? Am I doing whatever I want? Or am I looking down on others and, and, and trying to make my own righteousness and do it alone? Or am I truly seeking your heart, a heart for God and a heart for others? Lord, I pray that you would really help us to see deeper into our hearts. And you help us to have real honest conversation with some people in our lives who can maybe reveal some blind spots we may be having. Lord, we love you and we're so thankful for your son. In his precious name, Jesus' name.